If you know me, then you know my story. If you don't, then here it is. I'm a husband, father, and a one percenter in my industry, living what most consider to be the American dream. Then triumph went to tragedy. My 14-year-old daughter passed away suddenly and tragically. The dream became a nightmare. A time of despair became a year of repair. I went from learning to survive to learning to thrive. This time, life was gonna be on my terms. I went on a journey of self-discovery. What I avoided in my past, I made my immediate future. I took massive action. I decided to change. I decided to not be a victim. I made the decision to be the complete version of myself, which is what led me to create this podcast, The Daily Decision. Let me help you achieve your dream. Let me help you find true fulfillment. Let me help you become the best version of yourself. The choice is yours. Take massive action now. Make the decision today. Invest in yourself. Listen and learn along with me because my job is to ensure that you can find greatness without tragedy. My job is to ensure what happened to me doesn't happen to you. It all starts with a decision. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of The Daily Decision. I'm your host, Michael Chabot. Today we have the pleasure and honor of having Carlos Valdez de Pena join us. Carlos is a keynote speaker, author, and organization development professional with over 30 years of experience supporting global corporations, including Mars Inc. and IBM. He has written two books on teamwork, Lessons from Mars, How One Global Company Cracked the Code on High Performance Collabor- Collaboration, excuse me, and Teamwork and Virtual Teams, Holding the Center When You Can't Meet Face-to-Face. Both books are based on original research Carlos conducted during his 17 years as an internal consultant at Mars, where he worked with iconic brands such as M&M's, Snickers, and Wrigley's Gum. Carlos has presented and offered workshops at numerous conferences, including the Midwest Technology Leaders Conference, the North American Organization Development Network, the Conference Board, and the Organization Design Forum. He is also a guest lecturer at American University and George Mason University. In addition to his speaking and writing, Carlos is the Managing Principal of Corporate Collaboration Resources, LLC, an organization and group effectiveness consulting firm specializing in creating and sustaining cultures of collaboration. His clients have included Maersk, J&J, Mars Inc., and the World Coco Foundation. Yeah. Wow. You didn't know there was one, huh? No, I didn't, but that's awesome. <laughs> Carlos, fascinating, fascinating welcome. Welcome to the show, sir. I am delighted to be with you, Michael. I am honored to have you here today. Um, I'll share with my listeners, you and I had a pre- chat a few weeks back and that alone probably could have been a podcast episode that <laughs> it was, was pretty re- fun it was, it was. interesting it, it went all kinds of really interesting directions yeah, yeah yeah and you know for you guys that are listening i'll share with you i mean i got to know carlos in about an hour and 10 minutes in that conversation you know sit back relax and put your seatbelt on because this is going to be a good one this is going strap, to be fun. Strap in, folks. Here we uh, go. <laughs> so, hey, Carlos, I always like to ask this question before we get going is when someone finds out what you do, what is the question that they always ask? 
what the hell is that? That's pretty much, that's pretty much what they asked. My mother-in-law never could figure it out. <laughs> um, no, people don't really know, lots of folks don't know that this discipline of what's called in, I guess, professional language, organization development, yeah? Mm. Used to be called human resources development back in, I guess, about the 80s, 70s. But organization development is not a widely known or understood field. People know what team building is. Right. Tell them you do that. And it's like, oh, good. So we're going to go do a ropes course together. Awesome. And I have to say, no, nah, not quite my bag, but uh, we're in the right neighborhood anyway. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's a great answer. All right. So actually, that's a really, really good transition because you, okay. you did mention team building. So let's talk about that first. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in your bio, expert in team building and team development. Mm -hmm. At some point, you know, I coach uh, young men's ice hockey, like 14, 15 year old boys. Right. I think team sports are one of the greatest teachers of life. Mm, okay. Um, I don't know what your take is on it, but somebody being a team building expert, I'd love to hear what your thoughts are. Um, well, I played football. I played basketball. I played baseball. Um, I was a miserable second stringer in most of those things. I just happened to get tall fast. I was six foot two by eighth grade. So they wow. thought, hey, this big guy can get in there. Um, what I, it's interesting. Uh, yes, I think it is valuable for the right kind of person because mm. it's a certain kind of very structured teamwork. So I don't use a lot of sports analogies in my work mm. because let's take ice hockey for, for a minute. It's a, a, a great sport. In ice hockey, it is as much as that game unfolds, right, mm -hmm. in real time, right, yep. um, these folks know exactly what they need to do, right? They're so good at the sport that they can improvise in the moment based because they practice so much, yeah? yeah? They practice and they practice and they practice and they take advantage of the situations when they arise. That's especially true in ice hockey, right? Because yes. a goal happens like that. Before you know it, it's, it's in the net and you're like, wait a minute, got to have instant replay work. The workplace isn't like that. Right. True. Um, interestingly, it could be. So uh, I used to have a buddy at IBM. Um, uh, what was his name? Uh, Skip Onneman was his name. Great consultant, still around. Skip used to talk about when he talked about teams. Well, is it a, a baseball team or is it a golf team? Mm. So we talk about a team in the workplace, right? He was looking for an analogy. Is it a bunch of individuals? and we're just gonna tote up their scores, golf, or is it a bunch of people on the field at the same time, or in your case, the ice, trying to do something together? In business, most of the time, it's more on the golf side of things, mm. right? Um, That's so true. That it, right, it is, it should be hot. Look, and I say this uh, ad nauseum, companies hire great individuals, they promote great individuals, they recognize and reward great individuals, why shouldn't we expect individuals to be the folks who are doing the big contributions? That doesn't mean teamwork is important. In fact, I think I told you this in our previous conversation. I think teamwork at work is, is what it's all about. For me, the great reward, I was inside corporations for 25, 30 years. And when we had those rare moments where we were clicking and it, we were like a team on the field or on the ice, we formed the best relationships. We formed the best memories. We had those those moments as um, those. We were in those flow moments that you get right. Athletes talk about that a lot. Yeah. 
Th those are the things I cherish about work, and it's what in my profession I want to bring to people. I want folks to have more awesome team experiences yeah. where it makes sense to do that. That's a really good answer. And, and you gave me an aha moment because you are right. We are rewarded as individuals in the workplace, but yet we're, we're told to work as teams. And I guess my question is, how do we blend the two together, right? Because we're striving as individuals to get to that boardroom, to get to that next level, but yet we want to work as teams. How do you blend the team and the individual together, right? If I'm on a hockey team, I'm playing in the NHL, we all have one goal to win the Stanley Cup, right? Right. We are definitely a team. We've got each other's backs. Right. Superstars are going to stand out no matter what, but we're still all have one common goal. But in the workplace, let's take a company like Mars or IBM or one of these big, huge corporations, and we're just using them as an example. Um, disclaimer. Um, but, you know, if I'm, if you and I are colleagues and we're, you know, on the same team, but we're both vying for that same position, how do we continue to work as teammates and not maybe even undermine each other? I don't know. It, that's difficult. That's really that's, tough. I think that's the ultimate question for a guy who does what I do, right? Yeah. How do we balance that? And for, so a couple of things, I'm going to go down a path here and I hope it's not too long a walk. No, no. First of all, the word teamwork gets thrown around a lot, right? It's on posters, it's on, it's in the, the, when the company has the big town hall meeting out in the open space, we're all talking about go team, teamwork, be a team player. It's become kind of a, 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 an overused hashtag in the mm -hmm. world, right? It's actually lost real meaning, I think, to a great extent. What, is it, what does it mean? Because look, let's say you manage a department and you're a guy who works with numbers. Let's say you're in a finance department and you manage a finance team. Everyone uses that term. I'm the head of the finance team. I'm the head of the HR team. I'm the head of the, the um, manufacturing safety team, whatever it is. All that means is in the, in the organization chart of lines and boxes, you're sitting up here and there are five or six or seven or eight people sitting below you connected by line, solid or dotted. That's your, in quotes, team. Mm. But it doesn't mean they work as a team. <clears throat> mm. Now, there may be times when they need to and maybe times when they don't need to. And that's the thing we miss because teamwork has become this vague notion of an idea of a concept of corporate goodness, teams, teamwork, yay. Mm -hmm. We fail to stop and say, hang on a second. Going back to my earlier analogy, when do we need to be a golf team? Thank you, mm. Skip Bonneman. When mm. do we need to be a hockey team? When do we need to be some hybrid of the two? And which work goes into each of those things, right? Yeah. This is my big discovery in the research I did when I worked at Mars was there's a surprising lack of clarity about what requires and will benefit from collaboration because collaboration is messy. Yep. Um, so you want to choose it carefully and what won't. Where should we let the good individuals go off and just do what they're really good at mm. and let them, you know, whack that puck into the back of the net time and time again because that's what they're so good at and when should we say you know what now this is all about the, the passing game this is all about working with each other intricately in whatever we're doing we don't stop and ask the question when is each one right mm. um, and all I one of the foundational questions I ask teams is just that when is it the right time for you all to work together when should subsets of you work together and when should individuals be off doing what they do 
That question, and I, I have an article out there I'm, sh I'm shopping around right now um, that talks about the technique for determining that. It's just a conversation, really, right? Yeah. Um, that, that's one aspect of what I do, but I help teams find a way to answer that question and then use collaboration where it will create value mm. and then not bother with it where it's just going to slow everybody down and trip people up because you got too many people involved. Yeah. Great. Great. By the way, you are off to a, you're like a rocket ship. This is, we're off to a great start here. This is good stuff. Good. My brain is going every direction, but I'm, as you're talking, I'm thinking, I want to talk about team leadership. And if it's too soon, yeah, I understand, yeah. but I think even in a corporation where you have department heads, right? They're team leaders. Mm -hmm. And then their boss is the executives above them. They're team yep. leaders. In today's business world, and even if it's in your family, whatever it might be, how do you define a good leader, number one? And I think number two would be is, man, how do you lead a team without putting your own needs, your own aspirations in front of others? You know, I did a podcast recently with another guest and he was talking about, we really need to operate more from a position of love and not in that kind of weird, soft, squishy way, but mm -hmm. meaning love people, help them get what they want, help them strive and achieve and you get what you want, so I'll be quiet there and let you answer. Let me start with the last point. My, se my secret motto, the one I developed for myself with, God bless her, my wife's help 20, 30 years ago when I first got into this weird field of organization development. My secret motto is, I just wanna bring more love to the workplace. Mm. That's all I wanna do. That I, 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 and it is, it is uh, as my Shakespeare teacher in college used to say, call it, agape. Mm. Agape love, right? It's, it's the 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 uh, the kindness. We are all cut from the same cloth. We are all people. We are all in this working hard, trying to do our best, and let's treat each other with kindness and mm. and and with love, really. And we yeah. don't use that word at work because it it creates a, a, a awkwardness for people, right? Because it, it, love like teamwork can mean different things to different people. Yeah. So that's what I'm about. I, 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 and I think whoever you were talking to got it right. I think leadership is about just that. Mm. Now, I, I have a bias. I was in leadership development for years. I designed leadership development programs. I delivered them. I sold them. I think they made about that much difference in the quality of leadership out there. Mm, interesting. I was talking to a guy from General Motors. He managed the Buick division for the Northeast out of, out of uh, I think it was in White Plains at the time. I was doing some leadership development work with this company. And uh, he said, Carlos, I want you to come and talk to me. I, I'm, I'm, you can find me in my office every morning at 6 a.m. I'm on the treadmill. I want you to come in and we're gonna talk. I thought, damn. <laughs> At 6 a.m., okay, uh, on your treadmill. Now, this was before people had, like, treadmill desks, right? Before it was a thing. So I thought, I, I was a young, I was 30-something, and this guy was 50, 60. You know, when you're 30, how everybody looks to be, like, anybody's got any gray hair at all is at least 60. Right. I don't really know how old he was. But he told me a story, which is what one of the things great leaders do. They tell stories. Mm -hmm. He told me a story about himself, and he said, you're in here, Carlos, you're teaching leadership, and I'm paying you to do it. And I want you to understand that I, I get that a lot of these people are not going to be transformed by what you're doing. I don't want you to take that personally, Carlos. But I want you, the thing that made me a great leader 
and you and I had a little bit of this conversation previously, was a heart attack I had about a year ago. Mm. That close to dying, my life was suddenly in a kind of sharp focus like I've never had before. I knew what mattered. I knew what was important. I knew what it was I wanted to do in this world, and it was elevate others. Mm. There's no way you can, I don't want you to give my people heart attacks in the classroom today, Carlos, please. But I want you to understand that, in my view, that leadership is deeply personal. Mm. And if you can find a way to invite my people into that personal place, who they are at their core, at their heart, and help them tap into that, maybe in addition to some of the techniques you're going to teach and some of the language you'll give them, maybe one or two of them, something will click. If, if, again, if you can help them get access to that, that more tender place within them. Yeah. Uh, and I, I, it, it's a story that stuck with me all these years. I mean, this goes back, I don't even want to say how far. Couldn't have been more right. I, I, I do believe some people are born to leadership. I think they're, they're, it's a natural talent. That's my bias. I think, yes, some people are just made to bring out the best in others. Mm. That's what leadership is. Others can learn it, and not because they read a great book on the subject, that can help. Perhaps they have a great mentor, that can help. Um, but it's a very personal thing, and I, I don't think in my job as a leadership development guy, I changed a lot of lives. Um, I do think it can be developed, but I think, it, like this guy from General Motors said, it's very personal, Yeah, and very much about um, going to a vulnerable place and understanding really what we're here for. And we get back to that word love again. Yeah. You know, my listeners, if they could talk, they would probably say I sound like a broken record, but a, a very good friend of mine, and I have the pleasure of working with him. He wrote a book called Heart Leaders. Mm. And it was, um, he came knocking on death's door. He got uh, spinal meningitis and almost died and wow. thankfully recovered, but he wrote this book. And it's, it's all about how company leaders, leaders in life, how we need to lead from the heart. And basically it's, you know, um, instead of profits over people, it's people first before profits. And, you know, I think the world could be a better place if we all did that. Um, right. Look, I'll share with you and everybody listening to this. I mean, before my daughter passed away, I was that guy. I was, you know, focused, focused, focused on success, success, success. I have a team that works for me. I wasn't a jerk, but I just looked at them as, I really feel like I looked at them as just pieces of the puzzle, like just do your job. Mm -hmm. Now I'm a completely different person. I look at them as human beings who have families, who have struggles, who have needs, dreams, aspirations, just like I do. And I try to help them lift them up. And of course I try to acknowledge them, reward them as much as I can when they're going above and beyond and doing a great job. I think a lot of us as leaders, and I would love to hear your feedback, but I think a lot of us as leaders, sometimes we get lost in all of the minutia. We get lost in hitting sales goals and numbers and profit margins or whatever. And we forget that Susie and Sally and Sean and Steve, and you know, I'm just using fictitious names, but all these people, they're just like you and I. They're human beings. They have dreams yeah. and aspirations. Yeah, yeah and it's, look, I, I, I'm not insensitive to the, uh, hey, this is a workplace, we have outcomes, we have goals, we, 100%. Have we need to get done, right? I, 
totally get it. And there are times when I think people just need to pull it together and put one foot in front of the other and get on with it, right? 100%. And to your point, we're all just people. Look, mm -hmm. I don't care what your title is, what your job is, how sexy the industry you're in is or is down to earth. We're just trying to make, make it work for us. Yeah. Um, and there are different levels of gifts and talents and different kinds of gifts and talents. I'm, I'm a firm believer that everybody has a kind of genius somewhere in them if we can bring it out. Agreed. Uh, I, you, you've triggered a thought for me. I've been interviewing, I'm working on a third book, which interestingly enough is about leading teams. Mm. And it's about the quality of leadership that I've seen and the people who use the methodology that my team and I developed at Mars and wh what it takes to use that most successfully. So I'm writing that book. I'm, so I'm interviewing people. Love that. And I talked to one of my favorite leaders on the planet a couple of days ago. She's in New Zealand, actually. Lucky, lucky her during this COVID time. But I, I asked her, what, what is it you're, you're learning as we work through this bizarre period of work from home, uh, quarantines, lockdowns, whatever, whatever you may be experiencing where you are. And she said, it's become more important for me, more important than ever for me to meet people where they are. And I said, uh, Sylvia, I've known you for probably 20 years and you've always been that kind of leader. She was my mm. boss at one point. Mm. And I said, I, I've always known that of you. How's it different? And, um, she, I, I don't remember her precise words. I have some notes back here. I won't bother looking at them. But basically her message was, I've always known that people are people. And we have to regard each other um, as fellow human beings, people on the planet trying to make the, make the best of it. But she said, I didn't used to lead with that. Now I lead with it. Mm. And she said, there was a conversation I had recently, Carlos, where I, I led with, how are you doing? And isn't it funny how in this period of pandemic, that simple question that used to be a throwaway, how are you doing now, is so important. Mm -hmm. But she said, how are you doing? And it led to an hour-long conversation with pers this person about the struggles they're facing in working from home. I believe this is a person who's got young kids in the house uh, and, a, and a partner, and they're both working. And it, Sylvia said, a year ago, it would have driven me crazy to have spent an hour just on the personal stuff, as important as I know it was. Yeah. I'd want to get down to cases. Um, but she said, now I get it. We have to be there for each other, not yeah. just during COVID-19, but we have to be there for each other all the time. Yeah. Right. This is going to become up, and this was part of my question was, what are you going to take forward out of this, right? Mm. Assuming at some point this, we get this under control. And that was her lesson. That was her lesson, and I thought, yep. That makes a ton of sense. I think that's a beautiful lesson. It reminds me of an article that I read probably five or six years ago, and it was written by a, um, a graduate student from Harvard Business School. And his thesis was about, you know, the, the difference between the way that leaders would run corporations back in the day and how it is now. And he said, you know, in my research and my studies, he said, what I found was in back in the day, they taught leaders to who ran corporations to be stewards of the neighborhoods and the cities in which they operate, yeah, right? Yeah. The main goal of that corporation beyond making a great quality product was giving back to the communities in which they operate in and making yeah. sure that they are, you know, a developer in those communities. And he said, now 
It's all about stock price. It's all about profit margins. Don't get me started. <laughs> well, it's a good place to go. I mean, and it is a good, it's a good place to go. And we've been doing, look, that was probably true up until, and please, I hope I, I don't get any angry emails up until Jack Welch came along. <laughs> yeah. And, and it actually comes out of, the, out of the University of Chicago School of Economics. They were the ones who got the, I believe it was Friedman, who got to this whole point about shareholder, maximizing shareholder wealth. Yep. And value. And, and it's just never made any sense to me. I, there's a book out there called um, the, the Divine Right of Capital. Mm. And what's the Divine Right of Capital? It, it, it's, it's 200 pages. It should probably only be 90. <laughs> Its basic thesis is it's not about shareholders. It's about stakeholders. Yes. It's about members of the community. It's about your employees. It's about their families. Your organization, originally corporations were founded for the benefit, licensed by, or, by governments to be a benefit to the community. We need to get back to that. And I think it's long overdue. I mean, I look at, and we're not the only ones. At, at, was it the Global Economic Forum at last year or some big council of CEOs who 180 people got together and said, look, we can't keep going this way. Yeah. And the letter from 183 billionaires that was published recently saying, please tax us more because we're creating a wealth gap that's unsustainable. Yep. And that, that, the wealth gap is there because we're pushing all the value Yep. to the people who already own everything. Yep. And we're trying to push down what we give to the folks who are producing stuff. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm, I'm, I could go on and on about this, but it's, it's, I think work is redemptive. I think having a, a place to go every day and be, be your best self, make things happen, pr produce value for others, can really uh, be a wonderfully human experience if we allow it to be. Yeah. Rather than just, hey, you're on my payroll, you're instrumental to what I want, so just get on with it and shut up. And I think that right there is what sums up the difference between good leaders and, and not. I do. I think that's the world needs more of what you said first and not the latter, obviously. Right. You know, it's interesting. I was listening to something this morning and the guy talking was saying, you know, like, Look, if your alarm, it might have been Les Brown I was listening to, and it was, you know, if your alarm goes off in the morning and you're fighting it like a dragon and you're miserable and you don't jump out of bed with a smile on your face, you're doing the wrong thing. Yeah. You know, yep. and this isn't on my list of questions, but while you were speaking, it just popped into my head. And, you know, for somebody, I mean, you have a tremendous amount of experience. You've worked with lots of people at very high levels. Why do you think... And I, I probably know the answer that you're going to say, but I want to hear your opinion is why do you think that people stay stuck in areas where they're miserable, whether it's they're low down on the totem pole at the very top? Um, I know for me, for a long time, I felt trapped. Hmm. Um, you felt trapped. So I'm going to answer your question, but tell me what. what, what oh, yeah. What, I mean, so this is what I tell everybody. Point. I came to podcasting and I came to doing what I'm doing. I'm eventually going to launch a coaching business uh, to help other guys like myself. But I think as men, and I, I'm not going to speak for women because I'm, mm. I'm not one. <laughs> but uh, as men, I think in our society, we're conditioned about, you know, providing success and, you know, all these wonderful things. And you spend the majority of your adult life striving for success. And then one day you wake up, whether it's, 
a tragedy like mine or something happens, maybe it's a divorce or something, and you look around and you say, wow, there's got to be more to life than this. Mm. You know, I've been spending my life just chasing fame and success. Where's the fulfillment come? And so, yeah, just one of the questions I have is so many people, and maybe it's fear, so many people are afraid to go after their dream, to go after what really makes them happy. Yeah, and I, you hit, you've, hit, you've answered your own question, as I think you know. Um, and I want to, so here's an interesting perspective on fear, yeah? Please. I've done a lot of self-development, self-growth work throughout my life. I have, I, you know, I've, it's funny. I've never been driven to financial success, which is at this stage in my life, towards the end of my active career, makes me a little sad because I don't have as much money in the bank as I'd like. Okay, I'm going to be fine. But <laughs> I never was driven by financial success. I was always searching for meaning. Mm. Always been searching for meaning. And part of that search was a reading of a, of a book and commentaries around it. I'll mention the name. We won't spend any time on it. It's called A Course in Miracles. Mm. And um, it's it's a fascinating story. Um, you know who was big into this was Marianne Williamson, the, the woman who ran for president on the Democratic um, nomination. Yeah. Her beginnings were in interpreting and speaking about this book. It's mm. a fascinating book. One of the key messages is this in that book. There are only two emotions. Mm. Two. If you think there are more, you're kidding yourself. There are two. Love and fear. Mm. And the most interesting part of that is there's really only one because there really is only love and the mistaken feeling that that love isn't there for me and that's fear mm. that love is the only emotion and when we try to pretend that we'd live outside of love or that love isn't available to us it turns out as fear well, i'm not going to be okay i'm not going to be welcomed i'm not going to be taken care of i can't take care of myself whatever the fear might be it all comes back to an invitation to remember that at the end of the day, there's only love. And if you can tap into that ultimately generative emotion, because love is the thing that takes life forward, right? Absolutely. I mean, it is what, it's where babies in the best of all possible worlds come from. They don't always, unfortunately. But when we raise children, when we form relationships, when we try to make the workplace better, it's all, the, it's all love. It's all around us. And when we, the real sadness in life is people who've lost touch with, with that reality. And that's been me for a lot of my life. Mm -hmm. I was a depressive, uh, anxious person, years in therapy, sometime on medications. Um, but even those taught me something. Um, but it's, it's, it is fear. We, so for my, in my case, I was taking a paycheck. I took a paycheck for, I don't know, 35 years. Yeah. People kept telling me, Carlos, you've got some interesting ideas. You should get out there and you should sell those ideas. You should mm. try to make a living. And I said, yeah, I'm good. I got the, I got the paycheck. I got the bennies, right? I got the insurance yeah. and the, the eyeglasses. I'm good. Um, but there, there was a part of me that was always thinking, I'm playing small in the world. Mm. Right? I'm playing small in the world. And mm. that's not serving me or the world. And this actually gets, there's a quote by Marianne Williamson that says very much this, this very thing. I keep it on my computer's desktop. Um, yeah, I, I, and so I, I promised myself, I think I told you this last time we talked, I had a cancer diagnosis mm -hmm. um, two years ago this coming September. And yeah. uh, 
you've talked about any number of uh, instances that'll bring us to a place where we reckon with what are we doing on the planet? Yeah. And certainly this did for me. Of course. Um, and I, I'm, I, as you know, I'm still in treatment. It's going fine. Um, I will remain in treatment for some time to come, God, God willing. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, but it's, it's uh, <clears throat> by the time that happened to me, though, I'd spent so much time looking for meaning that I had some good resources to draw on. I was really lucky, really fortunate that my life had kind of prepared me in some respects for uh, trying to grapple with 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 what? It's mortality, man. We're all going to go sometime. Yep. Right? We're all going to And it's, in a way, I'm lucky. In a way, I'm more even more fortunate than others because at least um, I've had a, I've been invited to a meeting where I had to deal with my own mortality with myself, right? It was like, yeah. all right, Carla, sit down. We're going to talk about what it means to be alive and what the odds are that you're going to die from this, right? Yeah. And it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> guess it's time to get real. And I think a lot of us, and our Western culture is particularly given to this. We don't do death, man. Mm -mm. We don't do it. And when we have to confront it and face it, it's that much harder because we choose to worship youth yes. and try to stay young forever and not confront the simple fact of our mortality. When in fact, I think the deepest most beautiful human beings I know on this planet, I don't mean physical beauty, are people who confront that reality yeah. and, and who've had to be in, in dialogue with themselves and others about it. And they don't let it overwhelm them, right? But they, they know this is, this is the reality of living. Yeah. Um, getting back to the love thing, I don't have a lot of time. Let me bring as much love into the world as I can, man. Yeah, and you do. I mean, I told you, and I'm sure my listeners can hear it. I mean, it just oozes from your being. You can tell that you are just a loving, caring, compassionate man. Well, it's beautiful. You. I love it. <laughs> I wish I were a bit more cutthroat. I have more <laughs> in my 401k, but I'll take it. I'll take it every day of the week. It's kind of why I think I was put on the planet. Yeah, uh, and... You know, just putting a bow on what you were talking about. I mean, you know, um, I use my daughter's death as an example, um, you know, as hard and as gut-wrenching and, and tragic as it has been, there's also been some blessings from it. And, yeah. you know, she's given me so much in her passing that, um, you know, it's, it's all about what you and I are talking about right now. And I think it's, we all just, it's really fear, isn't it? It's fear of, oh, yeah. it's fear of failure. It's fear of the unknown. It's fear of all these things that keeps us, that holds yeah. us back. Yeah, it is. And uh, now let me get a little humorous. You know, the movie, uh, is it Moonstruck? Yeah, I love that movie. All right. And, and she says, and why do men cheat on their wives? Yeah. They fear death. Yeah. They fear death. And that's really the root cause of all this weird anxiety we get into we we don't we haven't been taught to love our mortality mm. I, i'll tell you it, it's i don't want to um diminish anyone who who isn't at that place right yeah people are on their own journeys right they're all on their own journeys this has been mine similar thing for you we have to love each other despite the fact that we're not all 
talking about the same stuff or concerned with the same things. Agreed. Um, I'm watching my kids grow, man. My kids are in their 20s. Actually, my oldest just turned 30 last weekend. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, talk about mortality. Woo. Congratulations. Yeah, I mean, but it's it's but, it, it, it's but she's she is at a point in her life where it's about they bought a beautiful home. They've mm. got two gorgeous little kids. Mm. They're fixing things up. They're making things pretty. They're they're planning, and they're doing well financially. Uh, it's all it's all good. She has no time for any of this stuff from her dad, right? Right. She is, but I know at some point because she's a parent she's going to have to confront the kind of heartbreak. I, and she's a smart person too, right? Yeah. She's self-aware. Yeah. So she's not there yet, but she'll, she'll get to a point where she embraces some of the deeper stuff that I think we all have to. It's deeper. It's darker. It can be scary, but it's the, it's where the richness comes. It is. And I think you nailed it. It's, it's in our Western culture. Um, I think it's also because as a society, things have just gotten too easy. Things have, you know, we've, we've, we've had it easy, especially in the United States for a long time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's also because of instant gratification and, and just all these things. I'm not saying that we need a hard life, but, you know, I think we forget right. about how precious. Now, let's just, to put a bow on all of this, because we've yeah. got a lot still to talk about, but, you know, you get a cancer diagnosis, okay? In that moment, you're like, holy shit. Yeah. Like this, this could be the end for me. It changes the way you think from that moment moving forward, doesn't it? It, it is life-changing. Yeah. And it's sad that, and I'm not using your example. I'm just saying it's sad as a, an entire human race that we have to come to these moments, like me losing my daughter, to realize how precious life is and how much of a blessing every day that you get to open your eyes is. Yeah. Right? Like I listened to this guy named Ed Milet and he said, you know, I was, pardon my language, I was on the balls of my ass. I, I didn't, they shut my water off. I was taking a shower down at the pool shower. Like I had nothing. And my friend's like, what do you have to be grateful for? He's like, nothing. He's like, bullshit. You're alive. You have your senses. You have an opportunity. Right. So. Gratitude is really an interesting topic, isn't it? Yes. Um, I can't remember who said it. I think it might have like St. Augustine or, or some great old Christian thinker who I think said, if you say only one prayer, let it be thank you. Mm. That thank you is enough of a prayer for all times and in all ways. It, well, look, it's hard, right? It is. You're facing the death of a loved one or a bad diagnosis. It's hard <clears throat> to dig down and grab that gratitude and pull it up to where you can speak the words. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, it's hard. And it, it's uh, my deepest wish for those in suffering to be able to find that because it's Me a too. gift. Gratitude yeah. is a profound, profound gift. And I don't want to forget that my life is making the workplace better, right? Yeah, I think uh, <laughs> my wife is a huge believer in appreciation. And mm. it's because her experience in the workplace hasn't been that good. And all she ever wants, her license plate is T-H-X-Y-O-U. Or oh, say, oh, sorry, she's going to kill me. Say, say, S-A-Y-T-H-X, say thanks. Mm. That's her license plate. Just as a reminder, let's just, let's be grateful. She, yeah. gets, she, gets, she gets a lot of people waving at her and saying, I love your license plate. Yeah, and, and it's, it's, we all just need to be a little more gracious, right? Not so focused on 
our own wants and needs. And, you know, I think I talked about this on another episode, which is that saying that says, you know, if you help enough people get what they want, you eventually get what yeah. you want anyway. Right, right. Was that Zig? Did Zig Ziglar say that? I, I, somebody like Zig Ziglar said yeah. it. Uh, yeah. There's a variation on that that is, it's, uh, you can achieve anything you want in your world, in the world, so long as you don't care who gets the credit. Mm. That's beautiful. I like that. You can achieve whatever you want in the world as long as you don't care who gets the credit. And that to me is another one of those that's leadership words, yes. sets of words, right? That's yes. leadership. Yes. Let's get done what needs to get done. I don't care who gets the credit. I just want to help us get there. How can I contribute? Whether it's leading from the front or leading from behind. I don't yeah. care. I love that. That's beautiful. Well, I, I want to talk about your book, Lessons from Mars. Okay. Because, you know, we, and we still have you know, the, 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 the cream, as I call it, the resilient stuff that I really want to get into, but I don't want to diminish this book either because this is a great book. And, you know, I just want to ask you a couple of questions. What led you to write it? Um, you know, and, and what do you, what do you see that it's done? Like, what are the changes that it's made? Well, let's start with the first one. I think, you know, there's this expression that uh, we talk about people who have a calling, mm. right? As if something is, calling them into their work. This book was a calling. I was called into writing it. Uh, I was called into writing it by people at Mars who said, wow, this is really good stuff. And it's such an interesting story about how it came to be. You should write a book about it. Mm. People outside of Mars saying, well, this is really useful. You should share this more broadly. Um, and that made writing it, because writing it, I was, I'm not a writer, not by inclination, not by training. Uh, and so it was a very slow and laborious process. And I wrote it while working full time. I wow. used vacation time to write. Wow. Um, I, I, my God, again, my wife and my family, thank goodness they were patient people. Um, so I was called to write it. And I, I pushed through and I had a good editor who helped me with it. And I had a publisher, Tim Ward, who you've talked to, who was a, a gift in getting it written. But that's why I wrote it, I, because I believe what's in there can help people at work uh, have a richer experience in their work lives. Just so I happened, love you know, that. My, uh, my venue is teams. There are people who work in leadership or who are mm -hmm. HR people all trying to make the workplace more human. This is my contribution to that wider movement. Yeah, it's, I love it. And, and it's, I mean, we spend the majority of our life at work. We spend more time at work than we do with we our do. family. Mm -hmm. Yep, and we do. It's, it's, it's really if, if, sad. By the way, by the way, if we're Please. lucky. Yes. Yes. If correct. Yeah. You are correct. And again, there's that gratitude, right? Yeah. Um, it's, it's sad though, because there are a lot of people who really hate their jobs and yep. all they do is look forward to the end of the day or to the weekend. They're happy on Friday. They're miserable on Sunday afternoon. Yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> And I, I never wanted to be that person, you know, and I, I've known, I sometimes, when you tell me your story, yeah, when you were telling me your story when we first talked mm. about what your day job was, and I guess still is, uh, it sounded like you were kind of locked into it. You used it earlier in this call. You talked about you felt trapped, mm -hmm. right? There was, so you've heard of this term engagement, workplace engagement? Yes. It's a measurement of really of, of how committed and passionate people are about their work. The Gallup organization says that around 30% of American employees are engaged. Wow. 
a bunch kind of half so-so and then a, another 20 or 30 percent who are actively disengaged and these are the people who are going to undermine things because mm -hmm. they're ticked off at the way work's going 30 percent mm -hmm. and that number is identical to what it was 20 years ago wow it hasn't how, moved how do we change that carlos I, I, you know, it's, I, do, I wish I knew. I wish I had an answer. It, it's such a complex phenomenon. I, I, I'd like to think that the current pandemic we're suffering, and look at what's happening in the U.S. We have the highest number of cases in the world. Mm-hmm the most advanced country economically, scientifically on the planet, and we have the highest cases in the world. This is our comeuppance. Yep. What is it gonna teach us about what matters in life? What's worthwhile? Because I don't think, I don't think any leadership training course, any amount of work I do with teams is gonna shift that engagement number any higher. Mm. We have to have a profound reckoning about what matters. Yeah, I agree. And I think my opinion, I think, is that it starts maybe with when you're a child. I think we talked about this when we had our conversation, but, and I was guilty of it as a parent because, you know, I work in finance. I get to see what everybody makes and I know yeah. what everybody does. And, you know, so I would say to my kids, hey, you guys are all getting master's degrees and this is what you're doing and no questions asked, right? Yeah. Yeah. And my wife's like, well, what if they want to do, you know, something in the art? No, 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 no. But now, again, after losing one of my children, I'm like, you know what? I just want you guys to be happy. I want you to follow what calls to your heart. And I think that, you know, I have my oldest daughter. She's, a, she's going to be a junior in college, goes to a great school, SMU in Dallas, Texas. Yeah. Um, and but I, I believe that one of the problems is we, we frown upon people that go to trade schools and work in the trades. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. We have lost respect for an honest day's work yeah. with your hands. Oh, yeah. It, what I love seeing, though, is this artisanal movement that's been around. People yeah. starting their own little bakeries and people are handcrafting stuff. I was building a piece of furniture the other day. My, my, mm. my oldest is uh, got a new job with a small... PE firm up in Connecticut and it is a small firm and she's been charged with opening this new office in somewhere in Connecticut. I can't remember where, but she's doing it all, man. She's ordering the furniture. The only thing she didn't do is negotiate the lease, but everything else she's doing, hiring people. So I went up there to help her put together a piece of furniture and I was marveling at the difference between what we mean by a piece of furniture today mm. and what was meant by a piece of furniture a century ago yeah or even 60 years ago it wasn't something you got out of an allen wrench <laughs> and a bunch of bolts and washers and pounded it together it was it was a, a labor of of, of of craft of skill yes. and often of love not always yes. but often and it's it's startling to me what we've gotten used to yeah but it's a table it'll work as a table that's fine it's, it's funny that you bring that up. So my wife and I recently were shopping for some furniture and we found a place that does Amish furniture, ah, the craftsmanship. Yeah. Uh, stunning, right? Oh my God. It is, it is old world craftsman, craftsmanship. And yeah. a good friend of mine, you know, he runs a hockey shop and he's a craftsman. He was a machinist for years. 
Okay. He sharpens skates better than anybody that I've ever met. And the guy is just so passionate about what he does because he's a craftsman. He loves it. He takes pride in what he does. And, you know, I wonder, I would love to know your opinion is, but how do we change the, the view on, on trades people? I mean, I know I have a lot of clients that are plumbers, electricians, welders, you know, they make a really good living and they, they, they do a ton of business. And guess what? During COVID, none of them have stopped working. Right. They've all been busy. Well, look, I think you're a good example. I don't know how you got into your job and working in finance and all that, but that's become, it used to be, I'm going to be a doctor or a lawyer. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The insurance companies have made being a doctor an immense pain in the neck and very hard really to sustain. I've got a couple of siblings who are, three of them who are physicians, and it's Mm. like one of them just stopped taking insurance altogether. So becoming that is no longer what it used to be. Agreed. Uh, lawyers still pretty good, but why? Because lawyers can charge these huge hourly fees, but mm-hmm. it's like Wall Street's the place, man. Yeah. But you gotta be in finance because that's where the money is. And that that's related to shareholder value, driving and increasing shareholder value as the primary focus. So yep. everything gets driven that way into the world of finance. And, and we devalue what are now called essential workers who are making minimum wage, if that, right? Yep. Doing piece work, we're acting as contractors, they get nothing. They don't get the benefits because they're working on their own. I mean, look, I, plumbers, they make great money. They do, they do very well. <laughs> right, and it is a skill and a craft. And I, I do a lot of my own work around the house and work on cars, and I have some appreciation mm. for some of the skill it takes. I'm a hack, right? I can do some stuff, but not like these, the pros yeah. who know it inside yeah. out and back and forward. So I, I think it's going to take that reckoning, that reckoning of what matters. Yeah. What matters. It, it, it's, it's uh, like I say, I'm heartened by, so I bake bread, like a lot of people during the pandemic. I used sure. to bake bread as a hobby in college and I picked it up again. I love working with the dough. I don't use a machine like a, with a dough hook. Yeah. I do it by hand. Yes. Not because I think dough hooks are bad, I love the feel of that in my hands and how it feels when it's ready to be dropped into a, a bowl to rise and how it feels ready, how you know it's ready after you punch it down for the second rise or put it into the bread pan. I love it. It's so satisfying. And everybody can experience that in some shape, shape or form, but I, I don't know how we get the world there. These are, you're asking some big questions today, Michael. <laughs> well, and you're answering them really well. And I think, you know, it's, think about this. So I'm turning 50. When I was in high school, we had auto shop, we had wood shop, yep. we had yep. metal shop, right? But oh, all these yes. great trade classes where you could learn things. And, you know, my kids yep. always ask me like, well, how do you know so much stuff? Well, because we had a lot of choices. <laughs> we did. And I, I dabbled in a lot of them. I realized, hey, I don't like working on cars, but oh, I love wood shop. Um, I always tell everybody the best, most rewarding job that I've ever done in my entire life is I worked construction in residential home building. My buddy and I did finish carpentry, um, in our senior year in high school and our first couple of years in college. And we went, we would work in the morning. We'd work from like six to noon and then go to school in the afternoon. And I absolutely love that work. It's, it's so rewarding, isn't it? It's so rewarding to see the work that you do with your hands yeah. and know that somebody's going to live there, raise their children, and you get to see the finished product. There is no better reward. 
it's, there isn't. it feels so good and it's it's and, and look there are people who genuinely like money and like to look at their monthly statements and go wow that that looks good i love yeah. that big number at the bottom and i know i made that happen and i it, it's a sense of achievement so not to diss any of those people that's never motivated me um i was just doing some work in our house and i had to replace a piece of baseboard mm. bit of a long story but they no longer make this one piece baseboard so i had to i had to fabricate something from wow. an existing product uh take it down to a size that would actually fit then put it in there and make the corner you know miter the corner nicely um i walk into the bedroom and i just look down at the corner and go damn that was good yeah there's <laughs> pride good. in that so I, I i wish for people that they that they have those things you were talking earlier about people who aren't, aren't engaged at work who don't enjoy work. yes please there is a there's a subset of those folks who work and i knew a bunch of them at mars some of my favorite people worked in the factory at mars and these were many of them men but there were both men and women in the plant but the guys i got to know talked about how i do this job so that on the weekend i can work on my car or i mm. can i can fish or i can travel mm. and i'm okay with my job because it enables me to do the things i love which wouldn't normally i'm, and I'm never going to make money with a, a rod and reel not going to happen but i love to do it and so work enables that and th these are people who are some of the most delightfully centered easygoing people on the planet right they just want to make enough money to put some in the bank for the retirement account and go out on their little fishing boat on the weekends and do what they do. And I have a lot of respect and admiration for those folks who, for whom happiness, happiness is simple. Yeah. I wish I was one of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I think you are. I think, you are, Michael. I think, I think you're finding a simplicity in your life now from yeah. the conversations we've had. And it's agreed. Look, I'm, I'm, my wife will tell you I have too many hobbies. I've overcomplicated mm. things for mm. myself, right? Photography, music, working on old cars, clumsy woodworking. Um, it, it, I, I, I love doing stuff, right? And I'd probably benefit from slowing down and writing this third book I'm working on <laughs> and just having <laughs> that. So, I, you know, we're, we're, I, all, we're all on our own journey. I think the fun in life, though, is taking on different things you know it's funny like as my son grows up he's 15 and i'll be I'll, i said to him oh yeah i did that or i i used to play yeah. that sport or yeah i i i studied martial arts for five six years or i you yeah. know played the guitar yeah. for a while he's like is there anything you didn't do i'm like i don't know i just yeah. like to try things <laughs> i like to try things that's the fun yeah. in life right yeah you know what my favorite job in the world was hmm. yours was working construction and uh, mine was driving a taxi Mm, I Back in the that. old days, sort of pre-Uber and yeah. all that, I drove a yellow cab in Philadelphia Wow! Um, from six at night to six in the morning. Wow. Dangerous. Yes. Don't, something only a, like a 21-year-old would do. Um, but it was, uh, I loved the freedom of it. Mm. I became an expert. I could get you to any, from any point in Philadelphia to any other point in Philadelphia, at least three different ways. Wow. And I would challenge my passengers sometimes when they were the right sort of person and, and I was in the talkative mood. How do you want to go? What, what would you like to see on the way? You tell me. And, and how, well, my favorite one was, how much do you want the meter to read when I get there? Because I can pretty much get it to within 25 cents of whatever wow. you want. 
<laughs> you yeah. must have met some interesting characters. Oh, I got stories. I can I only stories. imagine. That's another Sorry, episode. It's <laughs> another episode. But it's, it's funny what brings us um, satisfaction. Mm. Um, for, in that job, it was I was developing a body of knowledge, and I love that. Yeah. I like to know stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I was, I didn't have a boss. Mm. The yeah. boss was me. Yeah. And it's a human connection. That's, I think, what we all yeah, crave yeah. as human beings. Yeah. And yeah, look, a lot of the people who climbed into the backseat of my taxi were silent, mm. rude, mm -hmm. uh, all kinds of things. They, Intoxicated, they, probably. Uh, <laughs> yes. Uh, <since> any number <laughs> of them were, they didn't get in my cab, they were put in my cab. Mm. But mm. You, you learn a lot about humanity in those kinds of jobs. And sure. you were talking earlier about the kids we're raising today, right? The, yeah. Um, I was had a chance in my life to see a lot of different kinds of people, different things, worked a lot of different jobs. Been a, I've been a member of four unions in my life. Wow. Right? Who's, who's a member of unions anymore, right? Yeah. Um, my kids don't know what that means. Mm. And I, I love them. And I did, I, I made them that way, right? My wife and I raised our kids. Yeah. to give them every advantage possible. Yep. Um, and in some respects, I think, denied them uh, great opportunities to learn. And they're, they're doing great now. I yeah. love them both. And they're both smart and putting the pieces together. But yeah, that, that's hard as a parent, isn't it? Because we really, you know, my friends and I talk about yeah. this a lot. You know, we want to, we want to give our kids every advantage. We want to make it easier on them than it was on us. Yes. But sometimes we need to let them struggle a little bit. We need to let them find their way. You know, this is what's you were talking about sports earlier. Yeah. Sports is a really good teacher of dealing with adversity. Yes. With failure. Yes. And how to put success into context. Yeah. I'm a, that that. I'm a big believer in. Yeah. I love that. All right. We, we are, man, we could go on forever. I love chatting with you. So much knowledge. We got to get to the the meat and potatoes, which is this book that you were challenged to write this resilient series of books during. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, so, so lay it out for my listeners who maybe haven't heard because my episode that I recorded with Tim hasn't gone live yet, mm -hmm. but just kind of lay out for them. So you were challenged to write this book in 30 days, right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. 30 so days. At, it was, I guess, <clears throat> just after the shutdown and my publisher, Tim had this idea that um, resilience was going to be more important than ever. And he wanted to do a series of short books, nothing more than a hundred pages. Um, and he thought who, who among my authors, the folks that work with him, mm. uh, has a subject area that would be useful. And he, he fortunately he thought of me and he called me and said, would you be up for it? Actually, it was an email. Would you be up for writing a book? And I said, ah, yeah, absolutely. Um, my work, because of the kind of work I do with teams, when the, pandemic hit and the shuts down happened, my work just kind of tailed off. Of right? course. Yeah. Uh, and so I was looking for something mm. to be to help me be productive. And so I jumped at the chance. And I'd been toying around with some ideas for a book previously. And I had some good stuff that I thought I could adapt. And so I cranked it out. And it was, I loved it. I, I don't know about you, but I love a good deadline. Yes, I, I don't, I, 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 it helps me immensely, and it helped that it was an external deadline. Yes. Um, and uh, it was fun. It was fun to crank it out, send it to Tim. Tim would do some editing, send it back to me. And the last chapter of that book was the chapter I'd always wanted mm. to write. It was mm. a chapter about how, how do you lead? 
How do you lead a team? And that's what my next book's going to be entirely about. Mm. So it, in, in a way, it has birthed another project for me, but I'm having a hard time getting started on, but I'm going to get there. Yeah. But it's a, the whole series. I mean, the series is fascinating. If you go to Amazon and just look at the result, I mean, they all have that logo at the top. It says, you yeah. can't see it because we're on a podcast, but it's resilience and then your topic. Mine is resilience virtual teams. And there's, there's resilience um, using the outdoors as a kind of therapy for resilience. Mm -hmm. I, I've, I've read every one of the books, and I, yes. I don't remember all of them. There are a number of a aging during a time of pandemic and how we can mm -hmm. make use of the fact that we've been around a while, those of us who are of a certain age. Yep. And um, I'm interviewing and George. George, Next, George yeah, is the man. He, yeah. he wrote one on anxiety, right, during yep. this time. He did which I think yep. is, is so impressive. Um, Michelle is scheduled. She wrote one as well. Michelle, brilliant on storytelling. Michelle yes. was my editor on my first book. Mm. And I, I owe her a world of, uh, of gratitude for, mm. she's just an awesome author. We've got uh, Connecting with Nature in a Time of Crisis. I'm just reading from the inner flap of my sure. book. Sure. Navigating Loss in a Time of mm. Crisis by Jules DeVito. Michelle's book on the skills of storytelling. Uh, John Robinson, Aging with Vision, Hope, and Courage. I, I love, love that. that yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, it's, it's a tough <clears throat> read. And then this guy, I, I, have you met Gleb yet? Gleb's oh, yeah. Gleb is the one actually who started all this and introduced me to all of you guys. I love yeah, Gleb. He, he is a, an amazing piece of humanity, that guy. Yes. Wow. Just yes. knowledge and energy and yes. always moving forward. So a great, great collection of people and a fascinating collection of books and all super easy reads. Yeah. So here's what I want to, so I, I've actually ordered them all. I'm waiting for them to come so that I can read them all. Um, but I want to ask you, I'm going to tell you my definition of resilience based on sure. my life. And then I want to ask you what your definition is. And then I want to specifically, if you have time, just talk about your book. Cause I know we're, we're getting to the end of our time here yeah. Oh, yeah, and yeah, I yeah. want to be respectful. Um, Keep me honest. <laughs> so resilience, you know, to me is that, I mean, I guess in, in the simplest of forms, it's, it's, a, it's toughness, right? It's, it's being able to be kicked in the teeth and somehow, some way, pull yourself back up and get back to life and learn to not only survive, but to thrive. And what I would tell you is I use my own, my own journey, right? My buddy said to me one time, he's like, you know, you're Superman. And I'm like, no, I'm not. And he's like, well, you know, you didn't have a choice. And I said, actually... I did have a choice. I could have easily quit. I could have easily given up. I could turn into a drunk, whatever. And the world would give me a free pass because of what I've been through. They would say, yeah, Michael's a drunk now, but you know, he lost his daughter. Right. And trust me, there was, there were times in my life since my daughter's passing that I've, I've wanted to quit. And then there was a moment where somebody gave me what I call the spark and said, you're more than this man. And your daughter would want more of this of you. And I think to me, that's what resilience is. It's like being able to go into the depths of your soul and say, yeah, this sucks what I'm going through, but somehow, some way I'm going to push through it. And I know I'm there, there's going to be setbacks. I know that there's going to be days when I don't believe. And there's, so every time I hear the word resilience, my ears go up. I'm like, oh yeah, let's talk <laughs> yeah. more resilience because you said it earlier, everybody's born with something special. I call it greatness. Yeah, yeah. But not all of us are either shown how to get to it 
or have the courage to go after it. Right. And not, yeah, no, that's true. Right. And maybe well, we don't have the resources. Maybe we're born into situations where we just, maybe our parents didn't learn and their parents didn't learn. And so we're just not shown the way. Um, anyway, I'm going to shut up now and let you answer. Well, let's just to keep it simple. Let's just be consistent. And yeah. I, I think resilience is the ability to find gratitude in almost any situation to find mm. what you're grateful for in a situation and be able to say, Mm. Um, as awful as this is, uh, as hard as it is, I'm grateful for these things. And to me, that's the foundation of resilience. Mm. I think for others, it is sheer um, gumption. People are yeah. just, I'm not, so, so I'm not, I'm, it's funny, I'm not a, a successfully competitive person. I don't compete in sports partly because it drives me a little wacky to compete. <laughs> I'm, I'm actually my worst self when I compete, but mm. I know people who are their best selves when they compete. They wow. get sharper, right? You, I mean, mm. they, this is true of world-class athletes. Yeah. You put them in a competitive situation and they rise to it and they rise above it. Yeah. And there are people who are wired that way, I think. For them, resilience is this inner fight. Mm. Um, I don't have the inner fight, but I've got the inner, I've got a sense that I have a purpose on this planet. Mm. And so, once I can anchor myself in gratitude and remind myself that I, I, I'm here for something and I'm going to find that, it keeps me going. Mm. So I think there are probably lots of reasons. It, it literally means to jump back from resilience, yeah. right? It's the yep. actual definition. And yes, that's what it means. But for me, it's about gratitude. For others, I think it's about strength. And I suspect there are, for others, it's about faith. Mm. I think there are people who have a, I'm not a terribly religious person, but I think for others, um, spirituality or religion offer a profound sense of, I, I, I got to get back in it because I believe in something bigger. Mm. So I think it's, it's really interesting. It'd be an interesting book to write about what are the kinds of resilience. Maybe I'll work on that one. I think, I think that would be an amazing book to write. I, I think about the fascinating numbers of ways people have found their resilience. Mm. It's interesting because I think I have a piece of all three of those. Okay. Um, you know, I, one moment I woke up and said, you got to be grateful for it. You still have two beautiful children. You still have all of these things. You have to make a difference with what you have. And then I also have that inner fight where I said, I am determined not to let this destroy me. I am determined not to let this destroy my family. I am determined to show to the world that I can rise up from this. But then I also have the faith piece right. where I said, I know my God loves me. I know that my God wants me to learn from this and take what I've learned and share it with others. Right. right. And then I take it one step further. And I, I thought to myself, you know, God gave up his only son. He had one. I have three children. If he can give up his only son, if he needed my daughter, well then stop being such a selfish, you know what? And, yeah. you know, so your your answer was brilliant. Um, and I, studied, I studied for that one. <laughs> and so, but I don't want to take away. I want to. So let's let's spend the last last uh, however many minutes we have left here and talk about your book. You know, virtual teams. I love this holding the center when you yeah. can't meet face to face. What does that mean? So we talk about people as being centered sometimes, right? Gosh, he seems really centered. Grounded is another mm. term for that, that 
somebody who just seems to be able to hold it together no matter what, probably mm. also a very resilient person. Yeah. Uh, and not only do individuals have centers, for me, teams have centers. So when I think of a team, I'm going to use it in a very specific way. It's about a, a collaborative body of people. They may mm -hmm. be a committee. They may be a, a, a board. They may be a, a crew. Call them what you want. But they have a collaborative, a shared collaborative identity. Let's mm. call it that. And when we were thrown apart, so all these people who work in offices and in factories, thrown apart by COVID-19, um, you can reconnect using the technology, right? We all said, quick, get us the bandwidth so we can all be on Zoom and Skype mm -hmm. and Microsoft Teams and tick on down the list. It's sort of soulless. The technology is definitely soulless, right? All yeah. it does is show me you in two dimensions. It gives me your voice, but it's not you. And it's not, a, the relationship is different. And we know now that Zoom fatigue, as it's come to be called, is very real, mm. right? Um, it, it People are on video calls back to back to back and it's exhausting it's exhausting because the brain is wired right to put together certain pieces when we interact with others that are now absent because mm. we're not in the in the room together we can't we aren't picking up on each other's subtler cues i'll leave it at that right and yeah. the brain is trying desperately to construct this puzzle called relationship mm. with insufficient information all right the team can lose its center under those circumstances. Its center doesn't hold, right? It, we, 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 that thing, because we used to hang out in the office together. We'd go grab lunch together. We'd take a walk around the parking lot together. We had a centering way of being with each other, gone. Yeah. So what I do is I apply the methodology I developed with my colleagues at Mars for collaboration because it's all around purpose and meaning. It's built around the notion that certain work benefits from collaboration. That's typically the work that becomes most meaningful to people. And we let that form a center for the team, a center that will hold, mm. right? Because we know we're, and what that does is it means we're only going to meet about certain things. We're not going to have meetings every, uh, let me pause for a second. One of the things we also saw with this being forced to work at home was meetings just burgeoned. There's suddenly everybody was meeting all the time. Yeah. Why? Because I, I, I need to feel like I'm connected and we're not going to miss something. I don't want anything to fall between the cracks. And so people were getting this Zoom fatigue, this meeting fatigue. Yeah. Well, what if we had two or three super meaningful pieces of work that we knew we would meet around every week or twice a week maybe, and we'd only involve the people who really cared passionately, who had the skills. That becomes your, your collaborative center. Right? Mm. And so this whole process, I, there are six practices of high performing collaboration that I talk about. And the practices are all meant to instill and imbue your work with meaning to actually to identify and unlock the meaning that's already there. Connect your people to it and let that form this experience uh, of being a team and to undergird the relationships that are part of being a team and to help you structure when you're going to meet and how you're going to meet. It's uh, the book gives you for each of the six practices, and it begins with purpose, with clarity of your intention and your purpose. Um, for each of the six practices, here's an exercise you can do virtually, right? Mm. It explains step-by-step step how to talk about your team's purpose. It identifies step-by-step step how to figure out which work is most aligned with that purpose and therefore requires your collaboration and which work doesn't require collaboration. It then says step-by-step step how to build the relationships around the work so that you can connect with people 
as co-creators, which is I just so awesome, right? And that's what it does. There are these six practices, and it walks you through giving. I have probably four exercises for each of these things, but this book, to keep it short and focused, I adapted one exercise per practice, and mm. that's, that's what the book does. It's, it's, like a, it's like a manual. Yeah, I, I love that. A user's I, guide. Who was it? I, I interviewed somebody recently and they wrote a book and they called it a field manual. And I said, God, I, yeah. I love that idea. What a great yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, that was, that's, that, the, the book I was working on that never got anywhere that I drew from for this book, we called the field guide. Mm, I love that. Yeah. I love that. This that's, is a simpler virtual work, remote work specific yeah. version of it, but. Yeah. Field guide makes me think of, you know, something the military would use, something that, you know, the Navy SEALs use a field guide. So it's, it's cool. Bird I like it. Use field guide. Yeah, they do. The You're right. You're flipping through. They bird, do. Bird watchers and probably some other people. But yeah. the idea is that it's a tool, right? It's yeah. not, it's not a bunch of theory. It's not a bunch of big, brilliant ideas. It, it's based on some of those things. Yeah. But it's really just a practical user's guide for a user's guide for your team. I love it. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. So, and sure. of, of course, Lessons from Mars. And then that new book, when it's done, we'll have you back on and talk about that one. I'm looking forward, <laughs> looking forward to getting that thing rolling. And then I have to write the book about the different kinds of resilience, right? Yes. Get on yes. That. Guys, wow. you heard it here. We're going to hold them to it. <laughs> be, my, be my accountability group. Thank That's you. it. That's it. All right. So before we let you go, just a couple of quick yeah. fun questions, just to kind of lighten it here. Love it. Um, okay. I always like to ask, so what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? What I like to attempt? Yeah. Wow. Like if you could do anything, what would it be? Uh, if I could do anything, what would it be? <laughs> Honestly, all I've ever wanted to be is a teacher. I could see that. All I've ever wanted to be is a teacher. And it would be probably uh, a professor or a teacher. That's what yeah. I would do. And I keep thinking, maybe I should go back. I was actually enrolled in a PhD program for mm. a very short period of time, mm. just so I could go into teaching, but that didn't work out. <clears throat> yeah, I could see that in you. It's, it's definitely, it's part of that love. You really just want to help and teach and help others grow. I can see that. That's awesome. Great answer. Good. Great answer. Uh, what's something I, you're not very good at? Oh my goodness. You know what I'm really bad at? This is so interesting for a guy who does what I do. <laughs> I am a lousy people manager. Hmm. Interesting. It, 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 yeah, I, 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 it is, and it took me a while to figure it out, but I have very porous boundaries, mm. very porous boundaries. So if you work for me and you're struggling at home, I, I, I can't stop thinking about it. I, I, what do I do to help? It keeps me up at night. I go in. I feel responsible. I have a, 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 an elevated sense of, of responsibility. And mm. it's just, I can't do the job well. Mm. And it also means I'm, I, I micromanage because I'm worried you, you, you might make a mistake and you won't feel good about yourself. Let me help. Let me guide you. Carlos, get out of my face and let me do my job. So I, I, I finally figured that out about 15 years ago. But I should just be, be, <laughs> I should just be Carlos and... Uh, not trying to be a not trying to be a boss. I love it. All right. So I know you said you're not a very religious man, but I'd like to ask this question. And it's, yeah, it, yeah. it is, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Thank you for living as fully into yourself as you could. Mm. 
Mm, that's beautiful. So, so I do believe in a, in, in a greater being. Mm. Um, I do have faith that there is a greater consciousness out there. Mm -hmm. I don't understand it. I wouldn't pretend to try to explain it. I don't, I don't fully get it. But, and I do believe that there is a something after. I don't know what it looks like or how it, how it will be. And I don't trouble myself to try to figure it out because I don't think anybody really knows. Yeah. But uh, I think that word comes up again and again in our conversation. And it's, yeah. uh, it's just about gratitude for for trying to do what I was put on the planet to do. That's I love what it. I'd want to hear. Well, before I ask my last question, I just want to say thank you. Uh, this has been a really, really good, I mean, I learned a lot today. Hopefully my listeners did. Um, it was as good and better than I knew it was going to be. So thank you. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I was delighted to have a chance to have the conversation because, uh, Michael, you're a, a thoughtful challenging, interesting human being, and there's no better way to spend time than with somebody well, thank like you. you. So thank you. I appreciate I'm glad it. To be here. All right. So last question is, what is the mark you want to leave on the world? Go back to something I talked about earlier. I would like to be one of those people who contributed to making the workplace a more human, more loving experience for as many people as possible. Yeah. That's uh, it. I can see that. I can see that. I love that you're, you are doing what you were put on this planet to do. You are, this is your calling. I love it. It certainly feels, feels like it. Well, I can tell you this is that I'm, I'm really happy because not only have I had the chance to meet you, but I know that I've made a really good friend and look forward to reading those future books, having you back on the show. Um, Great. And um, I will let you know as soon as this, this goes live. And for those of you that are listening, if you enjoyed this, please like it, please comment on it, please share it. And as I always say, it all starts with a decision. Thank you for joining us on another episode of The Daily Decision. If you like what you hear, please do us a favor, share it, like it, subscribe to it, tell your friends about it. And remember, it all starts with a decision.